0: This is Crescent Project Radio, bringing you powerful testimony, practical teaching, and exciting truth about God's miraculous movement in the Muslim world, and how we as Christians can join Him in this kingdom work. Our goal is to see every Muslim have an opportunity to respond to the gospel and be connected to a true follower of Jesus. You can find us online at crescentproject.org. Have a comment or question? Email them to radio at crescentproject.org. We would love to hear from you and have a chance to respond on a future program. Hi, I'm Rashida, and you're
1: listening to Crescent Project Radio, where we believe we have a hope worth sharing. Today, my guest is a global apologist, an author, a podcast host, a second-generation Lebanese-American, and a follower of Jesus from a Muslim background. Abdu Murray has been a friend of Crescent Project for many years, so it's my pleasure to have him with me on the podcast today to talk about a really important topic. Ahmadiyya Islam is a unique sect of Islam that originated in colonial India in the 19th century and has since then spread all over the world. The late Nabeel Qureshi, author of the best-selling book Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus, was a part of this branch of Islam before he became a follower of Jesus. Abdu, I'm honored to have you with me today. Welcome to Crescent Project Radio.
2: It's great to be here, Rashida. Thanks for having me on.
1: Thank you. So, can you start off by telling us a little bit about your latest projects and your new book?
2: Yeah, well, thanks for letting me do that. I appreciate it. Um, So, my my book first, it's... um, my most recent one, published by Zondervan Reflective, uh, came out in late 2022. It's called More Than a White Man's Religion, Why Christianity Has Never Been Merely White, Male-Centered, or Just Another Religion. And I wrote this, um, I actually, uh, it came about because I had, was writing a chapter to another book, and it was more about how Jesus is not a product of his time, about how he transcends the, even the cultural issues of his day. But he wrestled with some really tough issues, or he would encourage, I should say, non-believers, but also people who were inquiring, what does believing in the Messiah actually mean? He was challenging them to get over their own ethnicist and racist ideas, uh, over their own sexism of the day, Mm -hmm. which was rife in those days, Um, and to see that religion wasn't just a set of rules to follow perfectly so you could lord it over people, Um, rather good and pure religion was something that was born of faith, faith and in trust of of the God who said them. So as I was writing that one chapter of this one book that preceded this one, I suddenly realized this thing uh, ballooned up into like 90 pages. So I called my agent and I said, hey, I have a book on my hands, I think, another book altogether. (laughs) Um, And I really felt strongly about it because in the middle of it, I was writing this in 2020, so the pandemic had happened, but of course, the issues with regard to George Floyd um, and the various other issues that mm-hmm. really that was not the first thing to spark a national conversation on race, but it was um, the added fuel to a already smoldering fire that became an, uh, a race discussion across the world, in fact, mm-hmm. um, across religions, by the way. Uh, and of course, the Me Too movement was happening, um, and issues about women being uh, treated as second-class citizens, even in the most developed countries in the world. And what was happening was that Christianity, uh, specifically evangelical Christianity, was being swept up as a political ideology that supported the suppression of people based on race and their gender. Mm-hmm. And as an outsider, as a former Muslim myself, and who comes from, who hails from the Middle East, in terms of my background, you know. I realized this was a religious system, this was a belief system that was anything but racist and misogynistic. So I wanted to write a book that defended the gospel as a message that brought equality to people of every ethnicity and across the, the, the gender uh, spectrum of men and women, the, the two genders that there are, and says that women are just as valued and just as equal in the sight of God as uh, men are. Um, so that was what the whole point of the book was. And um, mm-hmm. also to show that Christianity, the, the gospel itself, the message of the gospel, not Christendom necessarily, but Christianity, the message of Jesus, is more than mere religion. It's, um, it's about that reconciliation of relationship that we were intended to have with God and how that actually happens. So that was the impetus for that book. And um, I hope that it answers the questions the culture is actually asking. Um, because I think that people are now asking not just primarily, is Christianity true? They're actually asking, is Christianity moral? And hopefully, mm-hmm. this book will help ne- move the needle towards that. Other projects I have, uh, real quick, are um, our podcast and our YouTube channel as well. My ministry is Embrace the Truth. Um, on YouTube, we're embraced um, YouTube.com slash Official. Uh, we have mm-hmm. several um Channels on there, including my podcast uh, and YouTube show, All Rise, uh, coulda, shoulda, woulda, where prominent speakers um, come on the show with me. In about 10 minutes, we share about the mistakes we've made and how we've botched it occasionally and how we've <laughs> learned from our mistakes so that people can be encouraged. You don't have to be a professional apologist or an evangelist to engage in meaningful conversations. You can learn from your mistakes. We have, and I hope people will feel that way as well. Um, so that, that's the, those are the projects we've got going on.
1: Oh, that's awesome. And I will be sure to include the link to your YouTube channel uh, in the description for the podcast.
2: Oh, great. Well, thank you.
1: So, today uh, we'd love to hear you um, share your insights on a particular Islamic movement called the Ahmadiyya movement. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's all over the world, including uh, here in the US. Um, how would you define it and how did it get started?
2: Mm. I appreciate that you said it's all over the world, including here in the U.S., because my office is only a few miles away from an Ahmadiyya mosque. Um, And what's interesting is it's a very small sect of Islam. Mm -hmm. Um, Some Muslims would say it's not even really Islam. They might say, most Muslims around the world would say, Ahmadiyya Islam is as Islamic as Mormonism is Christian. Uh, They consider it a heretical sect. Mm-hmm. Here's why. It's because some of their fundamental tenets um, are very similar to Islam, mostly Sunni Islam. So, uh, they believe in the, the six articles of faith and the five pillars of practice mm-hmm. and these kind of things that most Muslims around the world ascribe to. It's called Ahmadiyya because it was founded essentially by, by a guy um, in the Punjab province in a, in a village called Qadian in uh, India. His name was Mirza Ghulam Ahmad. And what he basically claimed to have done was that he came to reform Islam or bring a message of reformation of Islam away from some of the political and um, militaristic uh, trappings that it had. So uh, Ahmadis are pacifists, which is interesting because a lot of the Mm -hmm. criticism of Islam is that the passages in the Quran tend to be fairly violent or uh, command violence against non-Muslims. Uh, but Mirza Ghulam Ahmad said, "No, this is uh, actually a pacifist religion. We 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 don't believe in any kind of uh, violence or hatred towards anybody. In fact, one of their central tenets—you'll if you go to an uh, Ahmadi mosque, you'll see it writ large on all their walls everywhere. Uh, their message is love for all, hatred for none. That's one of their messages, and this goes across whether it's Muslim or not. So they're pacifists. But the reason why it's considered a heretical sect of Islam is not its pacifism." so much as that Mirza Ghulam Ahmed claimed to be a messenger of Allah after the Prophet Muhammad, which of course mm-hmm. Muhammad is considered the final, or the Khatim al-Anbiya, he is the seal of the prophets, he's the last prophet who was, who was to come, and yet Mirza Ghulam Ahmed said that he is a final prophet or a messenger of God. Now, to be fair, Ahmadiyyas don't believe that he is a prophet on par with Muhammad, they still think Muhammad is the final seal of the prophets in terms of his message. Mm. Rather, what they really believe is that Mirza Ghulam Ahmed brought a reformation, a call to come back to a reformed view, uh, which in their eyes is a pacifist view, but that he wasn't taking Muhammad's place as the last prophet, so much as he was calling people back to Muhammad uh, as a prophet, but also a pacifist religion. There are a couple of differences though, and one of the important differences with Sunni or Shia or any other really version of Islam is that Mirza Ghulam Ahmed claimed to be an awaited Messiah uh, who would deliver a message for all eternity for the people, and he would be essentially uh, a form of the Mahdi, which is a messianic figure, an apocalyptic figure for Muslims all over the world. Well, that message didn't go over well with most Muslims. Um, and so, though he started his, his movement in Qadian in um, Punjab, in northern India. In fact, the reason why that's important is because a lot of Muslims will derogatorily refer to Ahmadiyyas as qadianis uh, as if it came from just this region. It's not really anything that has to do with, because um, Ahmad mm-hmm. is also a name for Muhammad, so they don't want to appropriate that name for Muhammad. Mm-hmm. So it's a derogatory term to call them qadianis But it spread into Pakistan. It's spread into uh, all all over the world. And as I said, as you said before, it's down the street from my very office here. But uh, many of their beliefs are similar to mainstream Islam. There's a couple of things that aren't necessarily mainstream uh, for which a lot of Ahmadi Muslims get persecution. Violent persecution Mm -hmm. in, in every country in which they exist. I would say maybe except for the United States and some Western countries. But they still also get um, some derogatory comments sent their way. So, like I said, a lot of Muslims would say that they're not actually Muslims. Ahmadis would beg to differ, and they would defend their right to say that they actually claim the name Muslim.
1: Yes, I have um, friends who are refugees from Pakistan, and they are part of the Ahmadiyya community. And Mm -hmm. they very much have an identity as a persecuted people. Yeah. So that... Yeah, it also creates another layer to work through if you're trying to share with them because when you're the victim, like if I try to talk about how Christians are treated, for example, in, mm-hmm. in, in their country, they want to focus on how they're mistreated. Because I, I guess in Pakistan, on your passport, it will delineate that you are Muslim, you're Christian, or you are Ahmadiyya, so they're, yeah. they're um, segregated and you know they basically they're out there, even if they're just going to an airport or something, it's very clear who they are and what the government thinks about them.
2: Well, this is an important point you raise also, Rashida, because one of the reasons why people are resistant to considering whether their worldview is true or not is because they have an emotional investment in that worldview. Um, Mm. uh, So uh, I can speak from personal experience. It took me nine years to become a Christian from a Muslim background, not because the answers were hard to find. It's because the answers were hard to accept. And mm. I, that's true for a lot of people, but especially from a persecuted group uh, where you have a history where you turn your back on the faith of your grandmother or your grandfather if they were martyred for that faith. What a okay. sense of betrayal it might feel like to say, I have to turn my back on that given the history that my, my family has gone through uh, and all and the suffering they have. So if you're an Ahmadi and you have someone who has lost their life or been physically maimed or lost property or whatever it is, um, and you are considering leaving that sect, you have to wrestle with, especially in an Eastern culture, the idea of betrayal of those whom you have loved for so long and admired. So it's an important thing to bring that up because you're right. People too tend to get entrenched in a view that for which they have a lot of emotional baggage and persecution brings a lot of emotional baggage. Naturally so. And that's true for Christians too.
1: Yes, yes. And there's also, I guess, for lack of a better word, some mythology around their founder and, you Mm. know, like my friend was telling me stories about, you know, these miracles that she feels happened that allowed the movement to, allowed him to escape persecution in India and then to travel and there, so there's just like this whole uh, mythology also around uh, him and if you go into many homes of Ahmadiyya Muslims you will see pictures of him not just him but his son and all the, the subsequent leaders of their community which is very different than for orthodox Muslims or other types of Muslims.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah yeah you're right there, there is a lot and part of this is a vestige of Uh, sort of a a thinking within Islam, is that any sort of success is a a sign that God is with you. Uh, When you read Mm. the Quran, for example, or the Hadith, what you'll see is, even in the call to prayer, you know, um, the call to prayer includes a call to the best deed, come to success. That's part of the call to prayer. So Islam, uh, you see oftentimes in the Quran, that these people who reject faith are among the losers, but those who accept mm. faith are among those uh, who get favor, who, who are the victorious ones. You'll see that over and over again in the Quran and in, in hadith literature as well. And so when, when um, Ahmadis, like most, like a lot of uh, people who have Muslim roots, they'll trace any success whatsoever of a minority religious movement um, to God's favor. And therefore, God's favor is an indication of, of the truth of your religious view. Shia do the same thing, by the way. Shia, which is also a minority sect of Islam, it's of course, it's more orthodox than, than, than Ahmadiyya's. But um, uh, you take the Israel war uh, in 2006 as just, uh, just one example. The war mm-hmm. between Hezbollah and Israel in Lebanon, where Lebanon was decimated in the summer of, tw- of 2006. Um, and the idea that, I- that Hezbollah beat them back and that Israel lost that war, whether they did or not isn't the point, but the, the, the Muslims believe it is to them a sign that God um, miraculously intervened to give victory to people who should not in any earthly sense have had that victory. So, whether that's true is another issue, but that's Mm -hmm. kind of the way um, a lot of Muslims feel God's favor, and therefore the truth of their system of belief is uh, propagated. And you can trace this all the way back to Muhammad. I mean, Muhammad, uh, according to the tradition, is uh, raised in Mecca, which wasn't called that uh, sorry, and went to Yathrib, which, which, which is Medina now. It wasn't called Medina. Mecca was called Mecca, but uh, Medina was not. Um, and he gained some followers after he's persecuted. He has to flee Mecca to mm-hmm. go to Medina. And from Medina, he returns with, a, with an army and essentially, without killing a soul, conquers Mecca once again. So you see this returning theme of military victory or miraculous victory even outside of anything military uh, as a sign of God's favor and therefore a, um, a vindication of the truth of your message. And, and there's some appeal to that. And um, Ahmadis are no different than other Muslims in thinking that God's favor in a small movement is somehow a seal of his approval of that movement. And of course, there are lots of legends that build up around uh, um, Mirza Gulam Ahmed. And they'll say there's eyewitness accounts or there's proof and all this stuff. Because, you know, this Mm -hmm. is important, by the way. I failed to mention this in the beginning. Um, The Ahmadi movement is not old. It's relatively new. Uh, Mm -hmm. In the 1400 years of Islam, uh, the Ahmadi movement uh, was essentially started in the late 19th century. Um, So you have it in the 1800s. It's not that old. I mean, Mm -hmm. let's put it this way. The Ahmadi movement is started after the abolition of slavery in the United States. So, that, yes. th- put it in that context, it's younger than the U.S. Uh, so, it's not an ancient religion. Now, an Ahmadi might beg to differ and say, no, 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 this is a, a call to original Islam, so it's 1,400 mm. years old, and of course, okay, that true. goes further back so that it's even you know, older than that, but as a movement itself, it's not that old. The reason I say that, though, is because they might say, well, there are documented miracles either done for or by Mirza Ghulam Ahmed which I actually don't think are really, there's no really good evidence for those things. There's just, there's just not. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, the whole message of the Ahmadis, there's a central fundamental flaw in, in their message. They actually believe, this is important for Christian listeners, of course, is that Jesus was on the cross, but survived that cross, mm-hmm. made his way to Kashmir, got married in Kashmir and lived out his days in God's service, but died at an old age. Um, There's no history whatsoever from that. In fact, they got that from a French scholar who wasn't really a scholar. He was a French thinker. He wasn't really a scholar. And he basically got that idea from a Turkish guy and a couple other things. And it it was all a big mess. My point is, is that if Mirza Gulam Ahmed is is the Messiah and is this person who's Messiah rule is vouchsafed by miracles, how come he got history so colossally wrong? It wasn't even partially right. It's so colossally wrong. There's really no good evidence for any of the claims they have made about Jesus, uh, for example. Uh, so um, I think they're running into the serious problems. But you're right. He is someone who is um, revered and loved and championed by um, the Ahmadis. And in fact, when you go to their mosque, there's pictures of him all over the place.
1: Yes, and I would say another distinctive or something that I see in the movement is that it's very um, missional, and they actually use oh, the yeah. term missionary. They have missionaries in New York City, and they have missionaries in Africa and different places. And yeah, it's 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 very interesting um, that they openly uh, that one that they use this Christian term mm-hmm. and um, uh, proudly. I would I would add and. That they are very much about spreading um, their brand of Islam to the whole world.
2: Yeah, you know, um, a good friend of mine, and um, your listeners might already know this, but a good friend of mine who passed away at the age of 35, Nabil Qureshi, um, mm-hmm. who wrote um, a best selling book about his testimony um, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. Nabil came from this background. He came from an yes. Ahmadi background, his mother was a missionary. Uh, hmm. So she was very vocal about spreading Islam uh, or Ahmadi Islam wherever she could and wherever they did. I think she spent some time in Indonesia, for example, doing some ministry work, mission, missions work there as well. So yeah, you pointed it out, they're very missional. In fact, even down the street, and they'll do things not just like going door to door or having engaging conversations. They'll actually try to find ways in the media to spread their message. There is a, a local mosque here. That when um, religious matters come up and a Muslim is consulted, they try to make sure that their voice is heard in op-ed pieces, or they'll write um, editorials, whatever it might be, um, to try to make make a comment about the Ahmadi faith. What's interesting, though, is that they're not just missional in the sense that they want to propagate the Ahmadi sect within Islam. They're not interested in just turning Muslims into Ahmadi Muslims. They're Mm -hmm. very interested in turning non-Muslims into Ahmadi Muslims, including and especially Christians, which means that they come to the table with a lot of uh, polemic as well. They're not just talking about why their proof is that Mirza Ghulam Ahmed was a prophet, but they actually will speak about, and they'll use a lot of the same arguments that mainline Muslims will against Christianity, for example, that the Bible's been Mm -hmm. changed, the Trinity makes no sense, Jesus couldn't be God. Um, The cross, you know, happened, but Jesus didn't die on that cross, and so therefore he didn't raise raise from the dead. They use a lot of the same arguments. There's a couple of nuances here and there, uh, but in their missions-mindedness, they recognize a need to incorporate apologetics, uh, a defense of their faith, but also polemics, um, an attack of someone else's within the ambit of their repertoire. So if you get to know Ahmadi Muslims, you will have your hands full. Um, Not because they know the stuff better than anybody else do, but they're prepared. And and because they're so missional, it's a part of their mosque experience. It's not just a random thing. It's a part of their mosque experience. And so they're told to be missional, and many of them are. And again, once again, you look at Nabil's story, he was being missional and um, evangelistic, as it were, to his friend David Wood. uh, Mm -hmm. It ended up working sort of in reverse. David ended up having such good arguments that Nabil ended up coming to faith. But uh, they're also in an intellectual bunch, being that it, its start is in the Indian subcontinent and uh, the Middle East in general, and most Muslims around the world, as you know, Rashida as well, most Muslims are not Arabs. But uh, education is a big part of the entire Muslim experience, whether you're over in the East or the Middle East, or Africa or elsewhere. Education is something that is it is vaunted as something very very valuable, um, and Ahmadi's are no exception to it. In fact, they are they tend to be very education-minded, which means they tend to be more intellectual. So they won't necessarily want the spread, Ahmadis particularly, they won't want the spread of Islam merely by birth rates. You know, if we just have more Mm. kids, we'll have more Muslims and more Muslims will take over. Nor do they want it by military because, of course, they're pacifists. They want the spread of Islam uh, to be by the eloquence of their arguments and the, f- the intellectual force of their theology. So they're heavily theological. Uh, they don't talk a lot about history in terms of geopolitical history. So if you have like Arab Muslims, for example, you'll have a lot of Arab Muslims who will focus on Israel and Zionism and all that stuff. But Ahmadi's tend not to do that. They tend I mean, they, they do occasionally talk about it, but for the most part, they talk about the theological issues and um, more intellectual stuff on, on that sense. Now, having said that, one more distinctive though is they tend, uh, not all of them, but I know from my experience and understanding and getting to know Nabil and his family uh, and others that they, they also tend to be quite mystical. So they have a Sufi bent to them as well. Oh, okay. uh, yeah, so they have, they, uh, Nabil would tell me stories about his family and how they would see visions or they would get premonitions in dreams. And some of those things would come to pass. And so there's a hyper sense of a mystical experience of God as well. They don't go so far as Sufis go um, in terms of their mystical ideas of unity with God or being lost in the divine. But they do, I guess to put it in Christian terms, they're more charismatic than one might expect, given their intellectual bent as well. So it's important to recognize too, they do have a sense of the mystical and that is not an insignificant part of their theology.
1: Hmm, I didn't I didn't realize that. Another thing that comes to mind because I went to an iftar dinner um this this year in Ramadan that was hosted by our local Ahmadiyya community and over and over again just in conversation with the women was, you know, oh, you know, it was just this sentiment that, you know, well, we basically believe in the same God, the same mm-hmm. religion, like this this um yeah. It's not even true. They don't, if they actually thought about it, they don't believe this, but right. they say this. But and I've had one-on-one conversations more in depth where a friend said, you know, well, I believe that, you know, if a Christian is a good person, even if a Hindu is a good person, um, they can go to paradise. And that was shocking for me.
2: Yeah. yeah. People are people, you know, across different religious spectrums, you'll have people who get a little uncomfortable with some of the dogmatic or doctrinaire statements. Um, I happen to believe Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by him. I believe that, and I I believe it not because I think that, it's because Jesus said it. And I believe him because he rose from the dead, and guys who rise from the dead tend to have credibility. (laughs) Um, But there there are plenty of people within Christian circles who bristle at the idea that you can't be good enough to go to heaven which, of course, is, makes the good news not really all that good if you have to merit it. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, Ahmadis, and other, they, they'll have a similar, a similar bent towards it. Now, what's interesting, uh, as you're alluding to, is that um, as an apologetics and evangelistic tool, a lot of Ahmadis will say, and I, by the way, there's Muslims uh, of every sect who, have, who I've heard say this, we, we believe in the same God. And the reason they say that is because the, the Quranic text references the god of uh, abraham isaac ishmael and jacob um it mm-hmm. will refer to noah and adam and eve and uh give passing glances to david and to um uh, ezra and others as well and so there's this tradition within islam is that allah is just which means the god is just yahweh but a truer a truer understanding of him so a Muslim would say, we believe in the same God, it's just that you believe the wrong things about that God. And of course, if you push them a little further, they'll start saying things like, well, your God dies. Like, whoa, 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 I thought thought it was the same God, you know. Right. <laughs> um, uh, so you'll push them a little bit further. But, but Ahmadis, like everybody else, have people who are a little bit less comfortable with the idea of exclusivism uh, mm-hmm. than their religion necessarily teaches. So they'll they'll do that and they'll say even Hindus who worship multiple gods but the Quran is pretty clear you worship more than any than, than just one god you're in serious trouble. So yeah right. you're quite right to point that out.
1: Yeah, I I even heard there was a young missionary a young man um speaking and he made a very bold statement. He said, you know, if Islam is a religion of violence Muhammad was a man of blah blah blah, and he was like then I I will not be a Muslim. I will stop being a Muslim. Hmm. And <laughs> yeah. it was a very, very bold statement. So it just made me think, well, how are they interpreting uh, their scriptures to, to be able to make a statement that black and white?
2: Yeah. It's interesting because uh, one, there's a couple of things. If you ever read Nabil's story, you'll see it. Here's a guy, Nabil wasn't passively Ahmadi. He was very committedly Ahmadi. Mm-hmm. His family was as well. And yet Nabil did not know many of the stories that come from Hadith literature about the life of Muhammad. So what that means is, is that you can be quite learned in the positives, but can be completely ignorant of the negatives. Just like Mm -hmm. a lot of Christians, for example, would talk about, you know, Jesus came and he says, don't judge. But then he says something like, but when you do judge, make sure you have a correct judgment. Or he judges people all the time. He says, you don't know the scriptures or it it would be worse for that person on the day of judgment than, uh, than Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, he, he pronounces judgments. And people are like, whoa, he did that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he overturned money changers' tables. That doesn't mm-hmm. mean he's violent, by the way. It doesn't mean any of that. Right. But it means that sometimes there are some surprising things. And Christians get surprised because they don't know their Bibles very well. And in the full context, I think you'll see a, a reconciliation of a, of, of a wonderful, uh, loving, and merciful Lord who also has uh, mercy on us because of our sins. And that's the Christian picture. But in Islam, it's different because what you see is statements in the Quran where people are commanded, Muslims are commanded to actually treat, physically treat people harshly, not because they're being violent towards you in self-defense, but because of their belief systems, actually, because of what they actually believe. And a lot of Ahmadis don't even know any of that stuff. Hmm. So Nabil, when he came to hear it, and he got it from Muslim sources, it rocked him. Yeah. So that young man, that missionary, if he said that, I wonder if he's putting his, his, mouth, his money where his mouth actually is, because if it were to be shown, and it could easily be shown, from not only the Quranic text, but from the Hadith literature and the Sirah, the life of Muhammad as well, you're going to have to wrestle with some very serious questions if you're willing to say, if he's violent, I'm leaving it. Um, yeah. You're going to have to wrestle with some, some serious questions. But that's, that speaks to the fact that, just because you're a missionary doesn't mean you know everything.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's yeah. true of
2: all missionaries. Indeed. Indeed it is. Indeed it is. Indeed. It's, it's true of me. I mean, there's yes. plenty of things that I think I know, and then I'm suddenly rocked by how much I don't.
1: Yes, yes, exactly.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so why is this topic so important to you? Why have you devoted so much of your time to researching this and even debating publicly uh, with members of this sect of Islam?
2: Well, I'll answer the second part first and then I'll get to the, sec- the, the, the first part. Um, sure. One of the reasons why I like to debate them is because they like to debate me. Uh, they invite me oh, okay. um, because okay. they're missional minded. Like as you said, they're missions minded. They, they, mm. they don't mind. And they're so confident in the truth of their beliefs that they're willing to have a debate because they're not afraid. Which, you mm-hmm. know, it's probably bored of the fact that they've been persecuted for so long that they don't, they're like, look, what are you going to do to me? That's not worse than what's already been done to us in our various countries. So they invite me to do the debates they're almost always extremely cordial. They mm-hmm. won't always agree, but they'll do it agreeably. Um, mm-hmm. So um, I find it to be the kind of thing that's, that, that's really ripe for fruit because you're not going to devol- devolve into scary conversations. You might have heated conversations, but they won't get scary.
1: And By they- scary, you mean…
2: Like uh, you, you, you're offending someone so much that the, that that the noise level in the room is elevated extreme to an extreme level, or you're so afraid that you're going to be seen as an Islamophobe, or mm. you know, will it turn violent?
0: Gotcha. They're pacifists.
2: It won't turn violent. It goes against everything they believe. So, um, and part of it is honestly I got to say this personally. What when I'm invested in them, not only is because they've allowed me to come in. Like these these debates that I do are in their mosques. Um, The only debates I've ever done are in their mosques Um, and they come and they listen and they're respectful. Mm -hmm. So it makes it enjoyable. But second, and this goes back to the first part of your question. It's important to me because one, this is a growing movement. It's a missional movement. It needs to be responded Mm -hmm. to encountered, but also Ahmadi Muslims are wonderful people. They are people for whom Christ died. And if my good friend Nabil. Who passed away? If in any way, shape, or form I can carry on to his own people, which he couldn't do, you know, what happens in Islam is oftentimes the converts. You're like, oh, you got to talk to this convert. Well, they don't want to talk to the convert because he's considered a traitor. And in yeah. the Ahmadi movement, M- Nabil was considered one of the biggest traitors because he was so well known. Um, mm-hmm. If I can carry a torch into a mosque on his behalf and speak to people he loved and cared about so much, why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't I do that?
1: Amen. Yes, that, that makes a lot of sense. Well, this is a great place to pause and um, conclude part one of this conversation. We have a lot more to talk about, um, but I will just close this in prayer. Lord God, yes, thank you so much for reminding us just how much you love um, all people. And today we're talking. About the Ahmadiyya Muslims and how much you love them and that you are pursuing them, Lord. That you, there are many, and not just Nabil, but there are many that you are pursuing, that you are bringing into your kingdom of light. And um, Lord, we just pray that you would uh, keep our hearts soft. Um, help us, Lord, to to know how to um, be witnesses, to shine light in dark places. Give us courage, Lord God, to. Uh, maybe we all can't uh, do debates and public debates in mosques, Lord, but there are there are courageous things that you're calling each of us to do, Lord, to build bridges, to um, tear down walls and to speak truth and 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 allow your love, Lord God, to to soften hearts. And so we pray for that, Lord. We pray that you would help us and you would empower us, power us, and that you would fill us with, Your love for for the people, Um, this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
2: Amen. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to Crescent Project Radio. We believe we have a hope worth sharing. Learn more about Crescent Project online at crescentproject.org, where you can find all of our previous podcasts featuring testimonies from former Muslims, teaching, and apologetics interviews with ministry leaders and book authors, along with commentary on current events and ministry news. Email us your comments or questions to radio at crescentproject.org. Stay connected by subscribing to our bi-monthly email, Call to Prayer, which is focused on prayer for the Muslim world. We hope you'll join us again next time on Crescent Project Radio.